Howdy, yokes, and welcome back to Bacon and Eggs! I'm Tyler Carlin. And I'm Ethan Edge Hill. And we're headed back to the wizarding world of Harry Potter. But this time we're in England. So get ready to be sorted. And let your wand choose you. Because we've got a special guest today. For Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's slash Philosopher's Stone and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. We're doing, doing a twofer. A twofer? We never did twofers. You probably knew that because you clicked on it. And there was two names on it. But anyway, welcome to the show. We have a special guest. Her name is Jordan Balky. She comes to us. She's the Jane of all trades for Super Carlin Brothers, but she's also got an incredible YouTube channel of her own that uh, she wants to talk about. Jordan, hello. Who are you? What do you do? What is your thing? I, I'm really bad at introducing people. I feel like if you were a senator, he'd walk up there and be like, do you got a man? I'm... Are you in love? If so, what type? Anyway, Jordan, <laughs> hello and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Jordan, who are you and what do you do? Uh, so my name is Jordan and Tyler was absolutely right. I am the Jane of all trades for the Super Carlin Brothers. Uh, I also have my own channel, Super Awesome Jordan. And you can also find me on Twitter at Super Awesome Jeb. That's J-E-B. As you can't quite fit enough characters in your handle to have my full name. That's okay. Fun fact about Jordan. Jordan is the world's most humble human being. Uh, it, it, so much so this weekend that I was hanging out with her and I was like, yo, is that super awesome Jordan? And she sits me down and goes, now you know I didn't pick that name for myself, right? <laughs> like, obviously so I know true. this. Oh, Jordan anyways, is Jordan is super a, awesome. Oh, 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 talking over each other. Good start. Sorry. Yeah, great chemistry here on Bacon and Egg. Um, Ethan, we're talking about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and the Philosopher's Stone, but I watched the American version with Jordan yesterday. Um, now, this movie was released on November 16th, 2001. That was 6,086 days ago, which, like, hurts my soul to think about. Yeah, I definitely saw this in theaters. Yeah, 6,000 days ago. Oh, my gosh. God. Uh, it had a $125 million budget. Uh, did make it back, though. It made $974.8 million worldwide. Uh, pretty well received. 80 critic reception, 82 audience reception on Rotten Tomatoes, but 64 on Metacritic. So that's that's just a rundown of the stats. Uh, I guess, how do we talk about movies? What do you mean? What's... What do we Did do? you like it? Do we do a binary review? We do a, Is we that do what we a do? positive and negative review. Positive and negative review. I knew that. Of the I've, movies. I've done this show before. So I have a positive review picked out, but I'm going to let you go first. So I've got a negative review for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. They were, they were few and far between. People really like this movie. But Nathaniel Rogers of Film Experience says, There is such a thing as being too faithful to a novel. Many things that we're amusing on page are laborious and redundant in the film, but they're here anyway. I think that's a positive review. I, I, that's what kind of why I picked it. I was, I was thinking, you know, after I watched it, I was like, this is a really good adaptation of that book. And this guy's like, this is too good of an adaptation of that book, and I hate it. I hate it. that it's too good. Uh, so give me a positive review real quick. So I got this comes from Jeremy Johns at jeremyjohns.com. And he says, this is the world building moment for Harry Potter. And I loved it. It's sweet and endearing. The setup is so enjoyable to see. And that's just, I mean, honestly, if I were to give a review for this film and I was confident enough to just write that, I would probably just write that. Instead, we're going to talk for the next hour about it. <laughs> Instead, we're going to say as many things as possible. Um, people seem to really like the binary review we've been doing. So I want to do one of those. Ethan, do you give this a zero or a one? One zero being. I want to hear from our guests first. But Jordan, zero people shouldn't see it. One people should see it. What do you think? One people should absolutely see it. Yeah, I don't think I know anybody that's gonna rate this movie a zero. Like, is it the greatest movie that's ever come out? Absolutely not. Is it the, even the best movie in the Harry Potter series? Probably not. But you yeah, should definitely watch not. it. Like, if you haven't seen a Harry Potter movie at this point 
in 2018. I, I don't have much to talk to you about, honestly. I'll tell you, he Chris Columbus, it's a one. I'll give it that. It's a one. Uh, it's a one. Uh, Chris Columbus did some weird movies before this. Um, he did this and Chamber of Secrets, and then the, the series gets a little darker. Um, but before this, just to give you some framework he did bicentennial man which is the worst movie probably not the worst movie but it's very long and in 1999 my seven-year-old self was very bored um mrs doubtfire home alone 2 home alone um those are the only ones out of this it's list so I recognize. he did rent interesting that you brought up chris columbus making a long movie now you wouldn't dare say that both of these movies are way too long would you oh definitely listen because i would we, I, I will get to how much longer chamber of secrets was that it needed to be because Jordan especially you can because vouch. we watched the extended version by mistake yeah and it had like all of these bonus scenes so that were totally unnecessary the extended version only adds 16 minutes that's a that's long many time, minutes even. right but what I want to get at is that movie is already two hours and 41 minutes long it is the standard version is 161 minutes of Chamber of Secrets yes Golly are you Jesus. serious that's so long 161 minutes you know I'm not surprised I actually remember popping it in and being like this one's a little bit shorter it'll be fine whatever nope. no worries it's the longest it is, of the whole series based it is on a hundred years long yeah based yeah. on well, the shortest book, and I, I remember from the books that Chamber of Secrets was actually shorter than Sorcerer's Stone. Is it? Not by much, but I'm pretty sure on my bookshelf it was not as fat of a book. Now I feel compelled to check. I'm not positive I'm... on which one's shorter. I know that the longest book is Order of the Phoenix, and it's the shortest movie. So, Sorcerer's Stone is the shortest by about 9,000 words. Oh, well, I was wrong. That's not that many, though. These are very... These were considered at the time very long books. Uh, in fact, they didn't want to give JK a deal for the first one because they thought it was too long to be a, like a children's young adult book. Yeah, and then she released Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix. And they <laughs> <Yeah>. were just <laughs> Order of the Phoenix is angry. It's like 900 pages long. 257,000 words. Fair enough. Well, so tell me guys about how you got into Harry Potter. Like, what was your experience seeing this movie back in, in 01? Gosh, it was that long ago? Yeah, it was 6,000 well, days ago. I mean, you could have watched it whenever, but, <laughs> but yeah, 6,000 days ago back in 2001, Jordan, what did, what was your experience going to this movie? How old were you? 11. That I was up. 11. Um, did you see it in theaters? I honestly don't remember seeing it in theaters. Um, I, yeah, I, I was a midnight kid for the books, but not necessarily for the movies. I feel like I definitely didn't see it at midnight but i definitely remember this movie i know i saw it in theaters i don't think i saw it opening day or anything because i was very very young i did did you i 100 percent saw it opening day i don't think there were midnight premieres back then i think i saw it like the next night or not the next night but like that first night mm -hmm. but i definitely saw it opening day like because i remember, remember it was a big deal like for months ahead of this movie coming out there were there were protests in the church and people like hey anybody who goes to see this movie is is condemned and i was like nine or whatever not even no i was eight and i was just like i want to see this movie now because all the adults are telling me i'm not allowed to did you enjoy it oh yeah when i read the books or i hadn't i'd read the first two at least i remember seeing this is two years after Phantom Menace. I remember seeing Phantom Menace in theaters. I do not remember seeing this in theaters. Interesting. I definitely saw both. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of sad that I don't remember my first viewing of Sorcerer's Stone or of any of the Harry Potter movies, I don't think. But even just rewatching it, it still brings up a lot of those same giddy excitement feelings that I'm sure I felt back then. Especially uh, like the opening sequence there where you hear 
because it was our first auditory exposure to Harry Potter because up until that point Harry Potter had only lived in the pages of the book right and just the first couple of notes of the Hedwig theme are so recognizable that if you hear it anywhere you immediately know it's Harry Potter and yeah Hedwig theme I, is, I is the that, main theme yep the um, and hearing that yesterday, just re rewatching the movies, I was immediately transported back to 11-year-old me reading the books and seeing the movies and just being excited. Oh, yeah, instantly. They zoom in on the cat and the street and Dumbledore starts clicking out the lights and I'm just like, whoo, this is fun. This is exciting. It's it's still, it's just a, it's a super fun movie. It, it's magical it, and it feels like childhood more so than any of the other like childhood movies we've reviewed so far to me. I would agree with that. Uh, I'm sorry. What was that last point? I said that this one, this one feels more like nostalgia and childhood than any of the other like childhood movies we've read so far. I'll say, yeah, I agree with you there. For me, there, like when I was watching it, I was like, I remember being a kid, and this being like the peak of set design and world building, and just everything you could ever dream of in a movie. It was so revolutionary. Obviously, it wasn't. You know, like this was Star Wars was. Looking back, I think the world building in the Phantom Menace is better than the world building in this. But um, what do you what do you mean by world building? Just like the the way the maybe not world building, but the way that the sets look, the way that it's presented, the lighting, the the cinematography, and the staging of everything, the mise en scène. Oh, it's it's so much better in this movie than the Phantom Menace. I'll say the only reason I say this because when I watched this, I was like, I remember being a kid and being like, there is not a movie out there like this. And watching it yesterday, I was like, this looks like Hocus Pocus. Yeah, I mean it. And it looks like, and it, to me, it felt a little campy. It looks like 1999. Like, yeah, it it, it really does. Um, and. I guess that's a little bit of Chris Columbus's directing and his cinematography and him being like a 90s director. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely looks like a Lifetime movie. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. My my comment watching this to you, Ethan, I think I texted you and I was like, this is the best Disney Channel original movie ever made. Yeah, I can totally see that. <laughs> right. Like, obviously it's not. But like, it doesn't quite stand. To me, it doesn't quite stand up in terms of like cinematography and things like that, as well as a normal good film. And the kids are all terrible actors. More so, I think, in the second one than in the first one but right and then they just grew up a lot before the third one like uh jordan we were talking about this emma watson's character hermione obviously is supposed to be like extremely smart and top of her class and like brainy and annoying but emma watson's just so cute that like you don't look at her and think brainy and annoying and smart so they've got to like crimp her hair but i don't think young emma watson knew what she was reading like there's there a were bunch definitely of times a couple of places where she didn't understand what the line was supposed to be and they like what didn't it was correct her yeah so like when she sits down to fix Harry's glasses. She's like, I've only been doing simple spells. And then she says, for example, and it sounds like she's saying like a spell. Like it doesn't sound like she's saying, for example, I've tried Oculus Reparo. Like it, the way that she delivers the line is just like, you have no idea what you're trying to say, do you? Which is fine. Like she was, you know, 10. So I'll forgive it. But there was another part where she says Hogwarts a history. It sounds like she's stuttering. Like, like she's thinking it's Hogwarts history. I read about it in Hogwarts a history. Yeah. There's just a break there that doesn't make any sense. And I remember even young me thinking that was such a weird way to say that. Yeah. I remember young me 
not remembering the textbook she's referencing and being like thinking it was called Hogwarts history instead of Hogwarts a history. Well, and this just suffers from the classic like kids don't talk like that thing. It's like a, well, it's yeah. a script written by adults for children to be acted by children. Right. But like kids don't speak to like each other like that. And it's it, there's been very few movies that have ever really grasped that. This is not one of I, them. I will say this film does, as far as world building goes, maybe again the wrong term, but as far as casting goes, there was some excellent casting for characters that had to last multiple eight years. Movies. Yeah. Yeah. And like there's that movie Boyhood that was supposed to be like this amazing art project about it like it's it's the same kid cast for twelve years and they filmed it over twelve years. And he goes from like six to eighteen or whatever. But I think this is a much better example of that. On average, I, I would agree. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, this movie's not excellent and Boyhood is amazing, but like, you know what I'm saying? Well, everybody involved in the project was like, casting this has been or was the toughest challenge. Well, because I feel like when you cast things where there's a specific look you need to get, not only did they limit themselves by being like, we're only going to use British actors, which is fine. Like, do whatever you're going to want. Do whatever you want. But there's definitely way less British actors than there are actors total. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, the, Br- and the British the- actress thing was a huge sticking point for J.K. Rowling. Right. She wouldn't let Robin but- Williams be Hagrid. I, well, don't think that I, understand- Robbie, uh, I don't think that Robin Williams would have d- done a good enough job as Hagrid. Like, just I agree with that. The casting but- of Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid was so spot on. Uh, yeah. They nailed... Uh, you, you can say what you want about the kids. Like, yeah, Neville grows up into this like specimen of a human being which he I'm shouldn't have been that. He did. I don't think Neville like I, I know what like attractive men look like I don't think Neville is an attractive man the guy that plays him right I think he's like he's just a guy I mean more anyway. Matthew Lewis for me then but he's yeah he's just not supposed to like be in any way attractive they even describe Neville in the seventh book is still just being super awkward and he just didn't grow into that kid I mean Emma Watson obviously it did not maintain the whole frumpy buck tooth persona uh, Daniel Radcliffe's Daniel Radcliffe still looks pretty much exactly the same just like older and taller yeah well and but he stayed shorter than ron and he was supposed which to. which is good yeah that could have been really awkward yeah if harry got like real tall and lanky yeah but as far as the adults go they nailed every single person like maggie smith was perfect alan rickman was perfect alan rickman was the most perfect casting except maybe richard griffith's who played Vernon. Right, Every, everybody's favorite person to be on set with. Is that true? Yeah, that he's just like the nicest human being alive. He's not alive. Well, he was then. Right. Said th- yeah, they said the same thing about that, and uh, and everybody says that about Lucius Malfoy. Really? About Jason Isaacs, yeah. Hmm. Um, the, and, and, the, and the kids who worked on Hook said the same thing. Weird. Yeah, that, and it, I mean that's always the case. It's like you know, they you know they say that about Tom Hiddleston now. Oh, I believe working with Tom Hiddleston's got to be the worst right. thing. <laughs> wait, but, uh, wait, Lucius Malfoy was Hook. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I never realized that. Yeah, no, I didn't realize that until today. But yeah, um, and 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 fun note about the score, uh, because I do think that is re- the truly exceptional moment of this movie is is this well not moment the truly exceptional factor of this movie is the score. Uh, a everything sounds like Christmas music, which is awesome and just a- adds to that like whimsiness of it is it all mm-hmm. could just be sleigh riding music but john williams was the backup composer <gasps> behind whom I, I can't remember his name somebody i've never heard of in my life who i guess dropped out to work on another project and they were like we need a composer last minute who can do it and john williams is like i mean i guess i can i mean whatever but we like knock something out on my laptop in five minutes right he didn't have a laptop this is 2001. They had laptops back then he was on sibelius 2 whatever he's on his apple macintosh right <laughs> But yeah, he was not the original composer, and I just can't imagine a different score to this movie. Oh, it would, it would be, the whole world of it would be different. Yeah. Like, people can say what they want about the films not matching up the books, and I will say, I'm like, I'm reading the books right now, and I, I don't think I've read the books as many times as I thought I did. In fact, I may have just read 
all of five and six for the first time in my life, which I was very surprised by as I was reading them. Although as I'm reading seven, I know I've read these words before, but anyway, I can see why people get upset. Like the, you know, the injustice of not matching everything from the, the book to the film, the adaptation's not perfect and it's never going to be perfect. But the fact of the matter is if these, if the films didn't happen, Harry Potter would not be what it is today without a set of Diagon Alley. You don't get a theme park of Diagon Alley. Yeah. I mean, you got a, you got a lot of truth to that. You um, know, without wands, you don't get wands. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jordan, what were you saying? Ethan, if it, you said that you saw recently that it wasn't supposed to be John Williams who composed it, if you heard the name, would you remember? I mean, I can find the... I, I read it today on IMDb Trivia. I can I can find it. I was going to say, was it supposed to be Hans Zimmer? No, no, it was not. Because that's the only thing that I am bringing up. Gotcha. Hang on a second. Let me let me see what... what... That would have been wild. That would have been a whole been a different whole movie. That would, yeah, that would have been a totally different thing. No, it was somebody, somebody with a G. Hang on. Not Mike, though. No. Was it Grindelwald? <laughs> it was not Grindelwald. James Horner was contracted to compose music for the film, but was unavailable because of a schedule conflict at the last minute. The task ultimately went to John Williams. James Horner? James Horner. Yep. He did Avatar. He did indeed. And Titanic. Yeah. Titanic but he probably does wouldn't have, have been good bad. Movie, uh, good music? For sure. He, yeah, he probably would not Deep have been impact bad. And Mask he did of Zorro. The Mask of Zorro, John Negroni's favorite movie. Uh, it looks like he had some pretty successful roles. Yeah, I would agree with that, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, he Academy Award nominated for a bunch of things, so... Yeah. But he's not John Williams, He's not John Williams. Oh, yeah, no. John Williams is the man. <laughs> Like Harry Potter without the Hedwig's theme, without any of the. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's just amazing how immersive music can be. Like more than anything, I would say that Sorcerer's Stone, being our first visual and and auditory look into the the Wizarding world, basically, is so immersive with how I mean just. Everything is so well done, and it's the type of thing where if you rewatch the movie, you see new things in Diagon Alley, and you know you look in all of the windows of the shops, and and you realize that all of the characters are dressed just a little bit funny because they're supposed to. They're not supposed to look like Muggles. They're not really supposed to know how to dress or fit into Muggle culture. And I think that the the costuming and the set design was so precisely done that it even though people complain that it doesn't have everything that the books have it by itself is such a standalone piece of like like excellent piece of art slash just a wonderful work in general that it's okay that they left out stuff from the book. I agree with that. And uh, and oh, honestly, yeah. in this one, they didn't leave a whole lot out. Uh, I know that people are upset about Peeves. Yeah. I'm not. That really bugs Peeves a lot of people. A stupid... Peeves shouldn't have been in the books. They, they did film scenes with Peeves in it and then cut them. Good. Because uh, then it would have had been a problem for seven movies. Right. They were Eight like, movies. this doesn't work. You know, uh, the, all these scenes are terrible. Like, you, you just can't bring this character to life. So well, he also, like... Reading the series right now, he's in every book, but he rarely does anything that, like, can't be explained away with a different character. Like, he doesn't advance the plot. He's not... Very rarely know, doesn't does come he advance out, the plot, yeah. Right, and it doesn't come out in the end that he's, you know, like a horcrux or something. He's just an annoying <laughs> character. Mm-hmm. Well, so I remember... I remember growing up uh, playing the computer game. Oh, yeah. The Harry Potter computer game. And Peeves was a very integral character in the computer game, and he actually moved the plot along quite a little bit. Yeah, he was the, like, tutorial character, the, like, Greek chorus. Yeah, basically. Yeah, which was really cool in that game. I remember that game. I, when that came out, I thought it was very difficult. Yeah, you, you learned a bunch of spells that never existed. I mean, you can learn Flipendo in the Harry Potter mobile game now. 
Oh my, don't even start. The The Harry Potter mobile game is a 43 on Metacritic, by the way, in case you're wondering. The, the cool thing about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is that Harry doesn't cast a spell the whole time. And I think that that's so important because it's about the wizarding world and everything great wizarding, but like it, it doesn't rely on magic to be good. Yeah. It's good storytelling that makes it good. Magic is happening in it. Right. And I think that's so important. Well, and they... they said that in the movie they they kept that consistent from the book to like emphasize the fact that Harry the only magic he does is is accidental like when he talks to the snake or when he makes the glass disappear and it, it shows that he is magic but he's not trained in magic right so they they kept that intentionally to give the character room to develop just from a cinematic standpoint right I will say story-wise I feel like Sorcerer's Stone runs into the same problems that like a new hope does where it's like it's very clear that after this was successful you put the rest of the story together and there are plot holes because of this there aren't a whole lot of holes I, I mean yes and no like like what? I don't like there is not a single lock the rest of the series that Alohomora can open except on Harry's bedroom door okay why would you why would you have the lock guarding Fluffy be unlockable? It was intentional. Have you not heard that theory? No. All of the um puzzles and charms and challenges were supposed to be beatable by first year wizards. Harry was supposed to get the stone. I've heard that and I've also heard that like A, the only way you'd be able to beat it is by in a team and and to the like only things that children would think of because you have to play like, like a game that. you have to do you have to fly around and find the key and it's like stuff that adults wouldn't necessarily you know be trained in it's the already smarter than a fifth grader thing right it's that it's obvious to an 11 year old right and like hermione would obviously think to just like unlock the door whereas an adult would probably pull on and be like well heck this because none of the other locks work with Elohimora ever yep ever i mean that's 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 just plot device i mean obviously there are better ways to lock doors mm-hmm. well there were there were were a lot of um what i would call a deus ex i should not have said that like like oh yeah where like hagrid just gives them yep information yep he's such a lovable character though it's like every time hagrid does something stupid i'm just like oh yeah like you gotta think if harry doesn't if harry doesn't make it to the stone quirrell never finds it right yeah yeah and voldemort doesn't escape the half-life true one uh, that actually reminds me of one scene that i wish hadn't been left out of Sorcerer's Stone, and that is Fred and George pelting the back of Quirrell's head with snowballs because you realize later that they were smacking Dumbledore, or not Dumbledore, um, smacking Voldemort in Voldemort. the face. With snowballs. Yeah. yeah. Also, Which apparently they were originally planning to cast the guy who ended up playing Professor Lupin, I can't remember his name, to be Quirrell. Oh, that would have been a wasted cast. I know, right? Oh, it would have been so sad. Yeah. He was so great as Lupin. Uh, D- David? Mark? British name. I don't know. Biblical I don't know it name. offhand. Yeah, I don't know. Off the top of my head. But there, yeah, there was a lot of... 90% of the ad movie trivia for this movie and the next movie are like, so-and-so was supposed to be cast at this, but didn't. So I think that they a lot of these people, they just came to like the last straw and ended up with really good people. Uh, I know that, that I know that uh, Chris Columbus only wanted Daniel Radcliffe for this part, but the casting director was unwilling to cast Daniel Radcliffe. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised by that because I felt like most of the time... With these descriptive character movies, they just cast every kid in the world that looks kind of like what Harry Potter might look like. Well, Daniel Radcliffe was in a movie before this. He was in David Copperfield. Yes. And Chris Columbus was like, that's the kid. When he got 
his hands on Harry Potter. He's like, that's the kid. I want that kid. And casting was like, ah, eh, he'll never do it. And they just yeah. didn't Dan even ask Radcliffe. him. So he got the ca- Chris Columbus got the casting director fired and found a casting director who would get him Radcliffe. That's amazing. Who made a million dollars in this movie, by the way. Wow. Yeah. Yep. He made a million dollars off the first one, and they tried to only pay him a hundred grand for the second one. And the actors' union was like, ah, you can't do that. Well, he probably didn't see any of it until like 2010. Oh yeah, he, he straight up was like, yeah, they paid me a million pounds for it. That's cool. Just like, all right, Dan. Danny. Danny Rads. Yeah, they um, they made some money off these movies. Just a little, you know, just a bit. Did anybody else feel the we have to go get the Sorcerer's Stone was almost like the someone's going to steal the Declaration of Independence, we need to steal the Declaration of Independence? <laughs> that's, I mean, yeah, that's just sets the whole thing in motion for the Harry Potter thing of like, well, I can't tell the adults. I just got to go do it myself. Yeah, I got to. I just, uh, I get so frustrated that the adults never listen to him. It's like, he has got good reason to believe Snape is the problem and nobody's hearing him. I don't know. It's, just, it's frustrating. Well, that's what I love so much about Six is that for, for six straight books, he's like, it's Malfoy and Snape and nobody listens to me. And he's wrong every time. And then finally it is Malfoy and Snape. Yeah. <laughs> and oh man, Tom, Tom Felton playing Draco Malfoy. What a little. I hate him. I hate him so much. I loved the Malfoy joke about, well, it wasn't even a joke, but he was like, we can't go in the forest. There's werewolves. Because in a lot of headcanons, Malfoy is actually a werewolf. Wait, what? Have you not heard that? No. No, what's the evidence for that? Um, I don't know. I'll research and get back to you. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard that. That's that's awesome, though. Yeah, because, like, he's not a full Death Eater. And I think it was one of those things that, like, as a punishment to his parents, they, uh, Voldemort had, uh, maybe Greyback bite him. I'm gonna look this hmm. up right now. Well, I just, but love, yeah, just I love the line in general. Malfoy. When, yep. when Filch is like, there's a lot worse than werewolves in that forest. Like, and then the, they spend the next six books talking about how there's very little worse than werewolves right like werewolves are definitely certain, not what you want to run into certainly not anything in the forest which seems to I mean, be i wouldn't want to run into aragog yeah which with the exception of the hive of acromantula seems to be full of relatively reasonable creatures well voldemort was in it that night yeah he's i wouldn't call him a, a like a mythical creature that lives in the forest he lives in the you back of voldemort somebody's head Link? what so you don't think voldemort likes Retin Link? no i don't think voldemort is a myth- mythical beast <laughs> So what was what was y'all's favorite part of this movie? Like pick a scene or, or like a moment or an idea. I'll tell you what I like is as far as storytelling goes, a lot of people take issue with Ron as a character, say he's not necessary to the series. But Ron's whole necessity happens throughout. But his sacrifice in the chess game is so important. Like Ron is willing to die for this kid because like you, he doesn't know what the queen's gonna do. It's been brutally destroying stone statues this whole time. Right. Right. It might just stab him through know the what's chest. Right, and Ron is willing to make that move so that Harry can get to the Sorcerer's Stone, and I really like that. I think that that's super important, and it shows how important Ron is moving forward. Right, that's. Just... I think my least favorite scene in the whole movie, because I've I've asked plenty of people this, and nobody can give me a satisfactory answer. It's in the book too. Is why Hermione tells Ron he has dirt on his nose. What? Right in the, the beginning train. scene, uh, when she meets them for the first time, she's leaving, and then she comes back and and tells Ron, "You've got dirt on your nose. Did you know?" She does it in the book, too. It doesn't explain anything. I feel like it's just to emphasize how annoying of a human being she is. Yeah, it's definitely to set up that he has that. a reason to dislike her. Right. It's like he does, he's immediately not supposed to like her. because and, and they don't do a very good job of saying that in the book or the movie because they seem pretty chummy shortly after that. Yeah, there's like a, a, a quick scene in the movie where you learn that they don't actually like her. Where he's like, it's a wonder she hasn't got any friends. Yeah, actually, I would say that I my because that. of that, my 
favorite scene is probably with the mountain troll in the girls' bathroom because they had just done, the, like, Ron had just been complaining that Hermione sucks and no wonder she doesn't have any friends and, like, feels maybe a little bit of responsibility that she's been crying in the girls' bathroom all day. But when she's in danger, when, when crap actually hits the fan, they put aside the fact that they don't like her because they need to help her. Right. Because Ron's the real hero of the series. Yeah, Ron's the one that saves her because Harry doesn't yeah. do any magic. Yep. And, and and the thing is, like, they dislike each other and she's right there, like, staring at him, walking him through it because she knows that he didn't get Wingardium Leviosa in class. And she's like, it's a swish, swish and, and flick. flick. Like, like, you can do this. You got this. Here's my little pep talk. And then when the teachers come in, she takes responsibility for it. Even though they were mean to her, she knows that they came to her aid when they didn't have to. And that, like, number one, without them, she'd be dead. And number two, that they are good friends. And I really think that that scene is the turning point on their friendship. And so it's my favorite. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. Ethan, what's your favorite scene? That's a tough one. I mean, I really, I really do like. I've always enjoyed the last, um, not the last scene, but like the 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 trials, I guess, to get them to the to the Sorcerer's Stone. The the thing with the key. Devil Snare hates sunlight. And the thing with the with the Devil Snare and the thing with the chess and and the fire. I guess the fire didn't happen in in the movie, but that part. I just it's like it's cool that there's this like labyrinthine test that they have to get through to get to the Sorcerer's Stone, and then it you can't even get it at the end because. It's like you still have to be worthy. Mm-hmm. Yes. O- only someone who wanted to obtain the stone but not use the stone could have acquired the stone. One of my more brilliant ideas. And, uh, man, uh, Richard Harris is creepy. Is that his name? Yeah. Is the, that not the point? Uh, Dumbledore, yeah, he's he's creepy. Ah, uh, just I didn't get the whole like mentoring, like father figure thing out of this character. I just got, like, creepy old man who doesn't really know what he's doing at all. I got, like, ten points to Dumbledore, guy. Earwax. I love the Alas Earwax line. It is one of the funniest. Richard Harris didn't even want to be Dumbledore. He didn't want to be remembered as Dumbledore because he knew he wasn't going to last much longer. Richard Harris is remembered as as Dumbledore. Yeah, for sure. Remembered as Marcus Aurelius. I don't think so. Gladiator. I don't think so, but even more so. But the the thing is, is he's remembered as Dumbledore, but, like, not the Dumbledore. Right, he's not Michael Gamba. Who is just way better, but would have been terrible in the first two movies yeah he was way too intense <laughs> yeah did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire, Harry? I will say something I thought was cool. I, I pointed this out to Jordan when we were watching it. I think this is what they were going for in the film is he walks into Ollivander's and Ollivander, like John Hurt is perfect in every way and is like, hello, I, I knew the day I'd see you, Mr. Potter. I remember every wand I've ever sold. The wand chooses the wizard. It's not always clear why. But I think what he does is he gives him... Because he goes through three wands in the film. He goes through every wand in the shop in the movie. But he goes through three in the film. I think what happens is he gives him a wand similar to Lily's. A wand similar to James's. And then he's like, you know what? What about a Voldemort wand? Curious. See, I I disagree with that. Curious. I disagree with that assessment, Tyler. Most Why is that? Um, just because there's so much variety to wands to be able to say that two are similar to one another. Because you I can would have say Harry's and Voldemort's are very similar. They have twin cores, but they're still completely different woods. Yeah, but they have something that is very similar. Right. The yes. Phoenix who gave your wand that feather gave another feather. Just one other feather. 
together. Yeah, I think there's definitely like, like it I, gave it, you be, that scar. It'd be it is wrong curious to say that, that this wand would select there. you, Mr. Potter, when its brother gave you that scar. He's so he's yes. the best casting. I think well in, in this movie at least the best casting in the whole series is in the next movie. Um, but yes. the best casting in this movie by far is John Hurt. They captured Ollivander to the T. Like because when you read the book and you really pay attention, especially in the latter books of the whole where Harry is like I he you know I don't trust Ollivander he kind of seems a little bit off to me and he's a lot more interested in like you know the wands than like helping me out mm-hmm. yeah and they I absolutely got that even in this movie from John Hurt before that before those books were even written I don't think they could have picked a better person and it, I you know it was just great I love that scene that that's probably actually is one of my favorite scenes of the movie so you don't think I'm, I'm asking you Jordan you don't think that other wands would have brothers or sisters no either either it's the type of thing where each I mean, I'm not super duper up on the lore, but I'm pretty sure that the the point was that phoenixes only give one feather, and it was very strange for this phoenix to have given more than one. Oh, see, I I took that the other way to be that it was weird that Fox only gave two feathers. Yeah. Because, like, the phoenix seems like an infinite supply of feathers because it just keeps burning alive and re- remaking itself until the end of time. I also feel like, like, that's why there's so many wands to choose from. Like, I don't, I don't know what Lily and James's wands were, but I feel like, you know, if one of them's got unicorn tail or whatever, what is the unicorn one? Hair. Unicorn hair. Unicorn hair as the core, then like finding another unicorn hair wand would what I would say is tangentially similar, more so than the one Harry got. That's just, I mean, that's just my view. I, I don't know. I thought it seemed like a an interesting way to proje- to show it. I and mean, maybe it's just that things in threes look good on film. I don't know what the I don't know what Columbus's thought was there. I mean, I definitely think it's a it's a we needed three of them. Three, three is the perfect number. Yeah. Because if they had gone on to do another one, I would have been like, all right. Unless it was some like montage that's just Harry trying a bunch of different wands, like one swish for each of them. That would have been cool too. But I, I I get why it's in threes. Set to like a punk rock song. Lily Evans' wand is made of willow. It is ten and a quarter inches and unknown core, which seems interesting. Uh, J.K. Make something up. You yeah, do that right? for every. Else. This, is, this is all fiction. <laughs> uh, and then... Uh, James Potter the first wand. Uh, also unknown core. 11 inches mahogany. I guess they did that on purpose then. Maybe. I don't know. Pliable, excellent for transfiguration. According to, not Pottermore, but oh. Pottermore results. Well, if it's not Pottermore, it's not gospel. Well, it didn't come up on Pottermore's results. Ah. Um, I am curious. Let's, I guess, wrap up our thoughts on the first one and then do some interlude and then talk about the second one. Okay. Sounds so, good to me. So, I, I don't know what, I, have, I lost that. I had a train of thought. And it departed the station without me on it. Well, let me open Patreon.com because we got to rank it. Are we going to do them together or separately or separately? Okay. Well, so so how do you guys think this movie did toward its goal of like being the opening film in the series, being the establishing film? Do you think it set the series off well or do you think it, you know, didn't? I think it sets the series off really well. Um, it did not age as well as I would have liked. Like, I don't know if I introduced this to my children down the line, if they're going to love the, the movie as much as I did. Um, but I think I will always have a nostalgic ping with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, all of the movies look like the year they were made. None of them are made very timelessly. Yeah. Um, those are my thoughts on it. Like, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I was definitely, you know, brought back into the wizarding world and reminded how much I loved it and buying tickets to Orlando while I was watching it and... I didn't actually do that, but I wanted to do that. Don't do that. I want to go. I do too. I've never been. What What do you think, Jordan? 
I think that this um, this film did a really good job of establishing the world that the rest of the Harry Potter series takes place in. And like, because the characters are so young and even though they they kind of sort of fight the Dark Lord, it's it's happier and, and the tone is a lot brighter than some of the later movies. And th so I think it really sets a good threshold for sort of what the upper limit is, if you will. Yeah, and I think it set a stage so that they could change things moving forward if they wanted to. Like, like, ha like Voldemort's appearance isn't congruent throughout all seven movies. There's like a different portrayal for this one, and then the next one, and then in four he looks completely different for the rest of the series. Um, well, this one is the same actor that played Quirrell. Oh, is yeah, it? voicing and oh, playing cool. both sides of the face. Oh, that's cool. So I, I thought it was just supposed but, to mean, look like Quirrell more than it looked like Voldemort. No, I, I, I agree with you there. I like when reading the book, I don't get the idea that he looks the same here as he does at the end of four. I'm just saying that they, they allowed themselves to change things moving forward. And then like the, the castle set changes a little bit throughout the series. A little bit. <laughs> I think the only thing they, the only thing consistent I think was the entrance hall. You might be right. They, they kept that same set. And, and, I think the and Gryffindor common room. Looks oh yeah, that too. Similar. And and Vol and Dumbledore's office. Yeah. But like the exterior of the castle looks completely different. Yeah. There's like a clock tower. Like they need a clock tower. There's supposed to be a scene about the clock tower. What? Where they get rid of um, Norbert. That was the astronomy tower. I thought. Oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah. But anyway, I liked it. Let's let's do some rankings. Okay. What do you think of Quirrell? As the villain? Yeah. I don't know if I'd call him the villain. I think Voldemort's the villain. Voldemort. Um, I mean, he's alright in this movie. He didn't doesn't he does a less good job of anything in this movie than anywhere else. I think Quirrell does a good job of shifting between the everybody thinks I'm super timid and I'm gonna stutter and and be really hesitant, and then in the the room where he thinks the stone is, oh yeah, immediately he jumps into the I am confident. Oh yeah, it was a scary, really well delivered scene. He's just like nobody would ever think it's poor stuttering Professor Quirrell, and you can see it's just an act, and like he looks intimidating for the first time in that scene. That was that was really well delivered from whoever that actor is. Nobody. Well, he was Quirrell. Was Quirrell? Professor Quirrell. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, you know, he's 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 he's, he's Quirrell. Quirrell. So on a on That's... a scale of of what is it? Um, I've forgotten the scale. Uh, Tommy Lee Tommy Jones as Two Face in Batman Forever to Heath Ledger as the Joker in The Dark Knight. Where does Quirrell slash Voldemort fall on this list? Uh, I don't know, like five, like right in the middle, like a good, a good yeah. median. Yeah, it's like he he is indeed a villain. That guy's a villain, and that's that's all you need. Mm. Fair enough. So we'll, we're ranking it in the Harry Potter rankings. Is it the best Harry Potter movie we watched so far? It is so far, absolutely. It sure is. So we're not counting that Fantastic Beasts then. Oh, oh, you, oh, Fantastic. It's not better than. It's Fantastic not better than Fantastic Beasts. Beasts. Definitely not better than Fantastic Beasts. But it is the best Harry Potter film. True. That's what. Ooh, but, that's what but I was asking. Wizarding is, world is, films. Are we consider how are we ranking the series? Are we considering Fantastic Beasts and the upcoming Crimes of Grindelwald as part of the series or nay? I don't know. I don't know. Even that. Is Solo part of the Star Wars? We did rank series? Solo with the yeah. rest of the Star Wars movies. Then I'm gonna say that this fit into or that the, the Fantastic Beasts movies fit in with this. I would, And it is not better than. It is Fantastic not Beasts better than Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, but it is better than nothing. So yeah, it's, so it's, it's number two. two out of out of nine. Out of two. Out of One, two. Two yeah. out of nine that possibly exist right now. It's two out of two. Yeah, I'm talking out of my out of my butt. 
Yeah, so Jordan, you're our guest this week. I'm curious about your your Pottermore sorting results. Uh, what can you tell us about you know your your houses for Hogwarts and Ilvermorny, which is so frustrating to say. Ilvermorny. Ilvermorny. What a stupid name. Your Patronus, your wand. You own your wand, don't you? Um. So the wand that I own is the one from Universal that they give you based off of your birthday. Um. And the wands that they have available at Universal don't necessarily match up with the wand woods that are available on Pottermore. So uh, my wand from Universal, I believe, is Ash Wood. Specifically, it's Ash Model 3 because I found the little stamp that's on it. Um, <laughs> Ash but, Model 3. <laughs> yep, they've had a bunch of different versions of it so that there's always more to buy. Um, but no, my, my Hogwarts house, I am a Hufflepuff. And, and I was a little bit of a reluctant Hufflepuff at first because I thought that maybe I would be a Ravenclaw because I was like, oh, I'm smart. I like school. But... Um, it, it very much is that Dumbledore quote of it's our, our choices who define who we are. And I'm very much the type of person, like, just because I think that I'm smart and liked school, my choice, and, and my mom sort of makes fun of me for this, that I was, that I didn't see it initially. I was always the type of person to greet the new kid. So whenever someone new came to our school, I'd be like, hi, I'm Jordan. Nice to meet you. If you don't have anywhere to sit at lunch or you don't know anyone, feel free to talk to me. I'll show you around, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I'm really- And they'd be like, wow, I was actually popular at my old school. So I'm just going to do that here too, weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that definitely happened a couple of times. No, it didn't. P kids aren't that mean, are they? Um, I mean, kids I, are pretty mean. Yeah, I remember I'll, I'll it happened. It kind of sort of happened in high school. Um, with this girl who, like, she wasn't mean about it. She was just like, "Oh, I'm already on the volleyball team with a bunch of people," and and at my high school, the volleyball team was popular. Yeah, same with ours. Um, yeah, those were the cool girls. Yeah, who who who'd have thought that girls in super short shorts and tight shirts would be popular in high school? Um, but. <laughs> What do you say, Jordan? Not I. <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, but so she was already like friends with that whole group. Um, but she wasn't at all mean about it. It was just like, oh, I already have a bunch of friends here. Thanks anyway. Okay. Okay. Okay, bye. Didn't even want to be friends bye, anyway. Felicia, I don't need you. I mean, we had so a lot your, of classes together. What are your Pottermore results? Uh, so your your Ashwood three for birth wand. Birth wand. Right. But um, I am a pear wood with unicorn hair core, 14 and a half inches in length. And it has a 14. quite- 14. Mm-hmm. And a quite that's bendy humans. flexibility. That's so big. That's a, that's a long wand. That's one one and a quarter inches shorter than Sirius's wand. Mm -hmm. Well, um- I'm holding Sirius's wand. I'm holding Sirius's wand and it's it's big. Oh. On um, Pottermore, they say that wands between eight and 15 inches are are typical. Mine's 11. Vinewood. You unicorn got, hair. You got a little baby wand. Um, and because I'm four foot tall. Something like that. Whereas I'm six foot tall. Yeah. Jordan's a hundred feet taller than me. Yes. So, so this is interesting. We all have unicorn as the core of our wand, correct? Is that right, Jordan? I have unicorn, yes. Okay, sorry. I was I like I said it and then I was like, I don't remember what Jordan said. Okay. So I also have unicorn hair. I'm I'm twelve and a quarter inch, <laughs> normal size, pliant <laughs> flexibility. Yeah, I'm unyielding flexibility, which makes sense if you know me. <laughs> Whereas I'm quite and, bendy flexibility, so we're all different flexibilities. Um so tell yes. me about the your your wand woods. Pe for me, Pear says uh, this golden toned wood produces wands of splendid magic powers which give of their best in the hands of the warm-hearted the generous and the wise uh possessors of pear wands are in my experience usually popular and well respected i do not know of a single instance where a 
a pear wand has been discovered in the possession of a dark witch or wizard. Pear wands are among the most resilient, and I have often observed that they may still present a remarkable appearance of newness even after many years of hard use. Hmm. Well, my my wood is a little bit different. <clears throat> elm wood is, uh, it's the unfounded belief that only pure bloods can produce magic from elm wands was undoubtedly started by some elm wand owner seeking to prove his own blood credentials. For I have known perfect matches of elm wands who are muggle-borns. The truth is that elm wands prefer owners with presence, magical dexterity, and a certain native dignity. Of all wand woods, elm, in my experience, produces the fewest accidents, the least foolish errors, and the most elegant charms and spells. These are sophisticated wands capable of highly advanced magic in the right hand, which, again, makes it highly desirable to those who espouse the pure blood philosophy. So it sounds like a lot of people with elm wands want to be pure blood or believe in the pure blood movement, which I wouldn't say that I necessarily do, but that's what I have. I've got a vine Even... wand, vinewood wand. The dr- Is it like six seconds? Yeah, it's six, six seconds long. <laughs> <laughs> the druids considered anything with a woody stem to be a tree, and vine makes wands of such special nature that I've been happy to continue their ancient tradition. Vine wands are among the less common types, and I've been intrigued to notice their owners are nearly always those witches or wizards who seek a greater purpose, who have vision beyond the ordinary, and who frequently astound those who think they know them best. Vine wands seem strongly attracted to personalities of hidden depths, and I have found them more sensitive than any other when it comes to instantly detecting a, protect- a perspective match. So I'm not special. No, you're not special at all. You don't astound me ever, so they're probably sort of the wrong. Wow. Thanks, man. <laughs> you're such a, I'm really such most... a kind person. Such a kind person. Are you pur- pure blood? I don't know. I think what... Uh, what determines what, that for American muggles? What what uh, fascinates me more than anything is that we all have the same core with the unicorn hair. I'm curious. I, I want to really read this. I'm less interested in the length and the, and the flexibility, but I'm curious about our core situation here. So it says, unicorn hair generally produces the most consistent magic. magic. At is and is least subject to fluctuations and blockages. Wands with unicorn cores are generally the most difficult to turn to the dark arts. They are the most faithful of all wands and usually remain strongly attached to their first owner, irrespective of whether he or she was an accomplished witch or wizard. Minor disadvantages of unicorn hair are that they do not make the most powerful wands, although the wand would may compensate, and that they are prone to melancholy if seriously mishandled, meaning that the hair may die in need of replacing. So that didn't really tell us at all about who we are as people. But I think it's just trying to say this is the most common type yeah that's definitely what that's saying i mean producing consistent magic is a good thing it is a good thing i'd be interested to see if there was like if you know if i would be interested to read an original story that where like the core of the wand i guess this is what all harry potter is but where the core of the wand was like really powerful at certain spells but really bad at i don't know other spells hmm. couldn't levitate things to save its life but it could really do the cruciatus curse <laughs> that would not be a a unicorn one because no. it says it's difficult <laughs> to turn to the dark arts Correct. So, Jordan, you're a Hufflepuff. What is your what is your Ilvermorny house? Thunderbird. Yo, same. Oh, I'm a wampus. <laughs> you are a wampus. Yeah, you are. I'm the warrior, baby. I called that. That was that was great. That was live. I called that live. Tyler had not done it, and we were just like, yo, you touched I was like, yo, you should do it right now. I think you're a horned serpent. And I was like, now you're a wampus. He was like, I'm a wampus. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's astounding that you say that, Ethan. Thanks, man. That's astounding. I'm glad you're that you astounded right. by me. You frequently astound your Thank peers. Thank you. Uh, what is your Patronus? This is what I'm most interested in, Jordan. J Rod. My Patronus is a dragonfly. What? Yeah, I can see that. No, it's not. It's so small, though. What does that even mean? It's so itty bitty. I mean, it's like your wand is like 100 feet long. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 100 foot wand, three inch Patronus. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what they what say, about, say about big about wands? The... Does it say anything about what that means? Nope. Doesn't look like it does. There's it no explanation about your Patronus. Interesting. It's about the Patronus charm itself. My Patronus. Even what? My Patronus is a West Highland Terrier. Yay, Westies! Oh, little puppy. Little puppy. I have a fox. A fox. Fox. Well, your wife enough. thinks so. Ooh. That's right. No, not a wolf, fox. <laughs> I wasn't howling. Ow! Um, wiggity, wiggity, wiggity. I, I don't know. I kind of like dragonfly because like it's, it sounds like it's a little bit more BA than it is. Like, oh, it's got dragon in the name, but it just a dragonfly. Just, I know. You said dragon and I was like, just whoa, tiny bug. that's cool. But it's actually a little bug that has, has coitus with its head. <laughs> And another dragonfly's butt. Jesus Christ! <laughs> is that is that real life? I need to I need to Google this literally this second. <laughs> That's what Derek needs on his computer tomorrow morning. Google search dragonfly coitus. <laughs> I'm actually searching it on my phone because his keyboard is so loud. I'm afraid of the noise picking. It. Oh, we're big fans of loud keyboards here at Bacon and Egg. Yeah, I'm constantly. We are over here at Super Carlin noises. Brothers too. In fact, I'm the only person who doesn't have a really noisy keyboard. Clicky keyboards are the future, Jordan. Are you learning about dragonfly coitus? I am. Doesn't it look like they're like stuck head to butt? Mm. Or are they doing something else when that happens? Yeah, it definitely looks head to butt. There we go. Dragon. I mean, that's that's the future too. Coitus. It's dragonfly season, baby. S Z N. Dragonfly season. So it actually season. the way that it's positioned, it almost looks like a heart, which is both cute and horrifying. Yeah, this is something. Oh, you're picturing something. This is something. Are you guys both Google searching yeah, it right now? I think now? that Jordan and I are looking at the same picture. <laughs> it's not in the show notes. It is not in the show notes. <laughs> you can look it up yourself yeah, bad with parents' milk permission. Visions. You can look it up with parents' permission. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Jaws. This episode of Bacon and Eggs is brought to you by Dragonfly Coitus. It's for dragonflies who want to reproduce. When a mommy and a daddy dragonfly love each other very much and sense the end of their life approaching rapidly. <laughs> <laughs> they must produce offspring. They are just fulfilling their single basic need. Make more Biologically, of Biologically, life ends, like, like the life cycle ends when you procreate. Correct. That's when your like evolutionary function is over. Yep. Why uh, old people still get weird disease. Tyler, if you look at your phone, I just sent you the the heart picture of dragonfly coitus. Oh. Oh my gosh. It's like the cutest <laughs> picture of sex I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. There oh my gosh. Of what these, a weird. Several of these dragonfly heart sex pictures. <laughs> oh gosh. All right, Harry Potter, huh? What do y'all think? I don't know. Tom Felton was a little bit older than everybody else. Yeah, That's and it thing. showed. Yeah. You don't need to call me Sir Professor. That happens way later on. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just trying to change the. Uh, Are change we the moving on to here. the the of secrets? <laughs> Chambel. How do you say of and? Franche. I could have been a French. Somewhere Polly is just smacking her head into a wall. <laughs> so the first thing that I noticed about Chamber of Secrets watching it back to back with Sorcerer's Stone was holy voice drop. Like Yeah, yeah, they grew up a little bit. They grew up a little bit. Just to give you some stats on the Chamber of Secrets, uh, Chamber of Secrets was released uh, November 15th, 2002. That was 5,722 days ago, so like 300 days, or like a year, exactly. It was it was a year, and it was, no, it was 300, Minus 30, a day. 364 days, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the budget dropped from 125 to $100 million, but it still made right around the exact same amount of money. No, it made a little bit less. $879 million worldwide. 
critic and audience ratings switched. So this one got an 82 critic, 80 audience, and it lost a point on Metacritic, uh, down to 63. Now, for a negative review, Ethan, what you got? I've got a review from Michael Agger of The New Yorker. Is not Richard Brody, but is from The New Yorker, so I thought that was interesting. And he said, Two down, presumably five to go, and the franchise is already entering a dangerous territory. If you aren't one of the many who know your Harry Potter chapter and verse, prepare for a nap. He's not wrong. Yeah, he's not wrong. You could take a pretty good nap in this almost three-hour-long movie. It's ridiculous. This movie is way too long. Nothing happens for 90% of it. With the extended scenes, the best character is lost. I do want to read this Jack Matthews New York Daily News review real quick. He says, Radcliffe, three inches taller and an octave lower than last year, is growing comfortably into his character, as is Watson, the fetching and confident Hermione. So, no love for Ron, of course. As always, even though Hermione is, at least in the book, absent for like 60% of this story, just as she was in the first book. Do guys' voices drop between the ages of 11 and 12? I thought it was later than that. Uh, did for Daniel Radcliffe. Turns out most humans develop differently than each other. Uh, very rare. Kind of like wands. It's not always the same, you know? It's a good but thing no, apparently... you can't see my face because my eye roll was enough to break the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, roll your no, eyes in the next I, decade. I mean, uh, it, it drops like a little bit at first. And then, like, overnight, it drops a lot. Mm -hmm. This was not the overnight situation. I don't think it was an octave lower in this movie. It was lower, but it wasn't, It's almost certainly not an octave. An octave is a long way when you consider the range of human speaking voice. (laughs) Right. It was definitely an octave. It was not an octave. It was a while, though. Are we talking between uh, the first book and the second... Or the first movie and the second movie? Or are we talking... Yeah. Yeah, that was easily an octave. I don't think so. An octave is a long way. But anyway, it dropped a good bit. But that was... I mean, like, it, it, it... I I noticed it for, like, the first scene, and then I was like, okay, moving on. So something that I noticed um, in the Chamber of Secrets that I didn't notice in Sorcerer's Stone was how many angular shots there were. Like, no one one was upright in the frame during conversations, which I thought was really odd. You said this in in Sorcerer's Stone? No, in in, uh, Chamber of Secrets. In the Shamba? Yeah, they they were much more angular. Like, I remember even from the get-go when we were in the bookstore and you saw Lucius talking with uh, Arthur Weasley, they were both just at very steep angles when they were having that conversation. Yeah, it was, uh, I thought this one did a really good job of putting things in Harry's perspective. Yeah, I was just about to say that. It feels like you were talking to an adult uh, the whole time. Yeah, so like anytime an adult was speaking, you were way below them. Because um, you know, he is a 12-year-old. And, and I actually thought that that was a, a well-done thing with this movie was you don't, like, if I recall correctly, there's not, like, a single scene that happens away from Harry's perspective, which is cool. Because, like, that's one of the things J.K. Rowling does so well is writes in that third-person limited perspective. And she only breaks it in the sixth book for two chapters. She breaks it in the fourth one. She does? Yeah, when Voldemort kills that muggle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that's still Harry's perspective. No, it's not. It's his dream. Is it? I don't know. I know that, that like, Harry, at least, at some point sees that. At the beginning of six, it's, like, in the office of the minister, of the Prime Minister of England. Yeah, and then with Snape. Yeah. I mean, for sure, yeah. She does write in that third person limited really well. And um, they, and and this this movie reflects that. Like, yeah, it is it is shown from Harry's perspective. And he's a lot less, I guess, confident in this movie almost. Like, the character, not the actor. The character is a lot less. Like, he seems to have his stuff figured out less. Yeah, he's going through a huge identity crisis. Like, the bonus scenes at a couple spots where, like, it shows Fred and George being like, oh, look, there's the heir of Slytherin. And there's a scene where Harry's, like, sitting on a hill looking down at Hogwarts and he's, like, scratching head 
Hedwig and he's like, who am I, Hedwig? Am I really just Harry Potter? And the extended scenes did a really good job of like showing that Harry is really struggling in this movie. Like it's, I remember watching this movie and thinking it's all about Kenneth Branagh and like Gilderoy Lockhart plays a huge part in it. It is all about Gilderoy Lockhart. It is. Everything's about Gilderoy Lockhart. Welcome to Bacon and Eggs, Gilderoy Lockhart podcast. Yeah, this is the best casting in the whole series. Yes, he's without question. Kind of the it turns perfect. in like an Oscar-worthy performance as Gilderoy Lockhart, a terrible character. Yeah. I mean, it's just the delivery is just... And I get that a lot of people's complaint is that he's supposed to be like mind-numbingly handsome. And he's not. I think he's, he's pretty, a pretty handsome. He's a good dude, but he's not like, oh my God, stop the presses. I would think that Molly Weasley would think he oh, was absolutely. stop the presses handsome. But this, this movie lives and dies with the supporting characters. Um, and a lot of them are really great. And a lot of the main characters and the main story of it is just kind of, eh. And I mean, he, he does kiss Daisy Ridley in Murder on the Orient Express, right? So obviously he's he's a handsome I mean, dude. Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh is the man. Like, I think yeah. directing <laughs> Thor was probably the worst thing he's ever done. Yeah. He looks a lot like uh, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor. A bit. Yeah, I, I can see like, that. If you look at his headshot, it's like... Yeah, that's you and McCoy. But he is he is, he is phenom- phenomenal. Phenomenal as as Gilderoy Lockhart. Just the world's most arrogant human being who's apparently a Ravenclaw. I still don't feel that. That'd be pretty smart to learn that as a I mean, he's spells. such a Slytherin though. Like here's 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 this is how I think everybody should take the test. Is you get to take the sorting quiz when you're 11 years old mm-hmm. and it's and it's September or whatever. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. And then you never get to take it again. Yep. So I think that Chamber of Secrets suffered a little bit from the uh, I should not have said that ex machina again. Yeah. Um, with Dobby a lot, he did that. Dobby was a weird character to introduce. I never liked him in it this book like, or this movie. No, because it's like oh, you I can introduce as much in info movie. as you want. He's such a jerk. He just doesn't listen. He doesn't. There's no logic behind him. Right. He's there to make and, like, his life harder. I know that harder. his re- Dobby's redeeming moment was supposed to be when he was freed and Lucius literally was. trying trying to kill Harry for that. And he's like, you shall not harm Harry Potter. But really, especially because not all of the books were out at that point, I just did not find Dobby to be a redeemable character after this movie yeah. for so, so long. I also feel like, and this is just, this is me on the Harry Potter series, but the way that Dobby is presented a sock is a total cop Oh yeah, absolutely. In the book? Like, in the book and in the movie, where it's like, it's in the diary that's and he what just I meant, hands in the it book. to him. The sock is in the book, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's not presenting somebody with clothes. You Can Dobby not do laundry? Right, but like, magic clearly, uh, clearly works in those loopholes. Like, oh, throughout yeah. the whole series, it's like, there's, there's ways that it's clearly not intended to be used, but is being used like that. Right. Like the Priory Incantatum thing. Yeah. But it, to me, that was just like, that's how you free Dobby is, I don't know. That's a super cop-out. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I, the story of this movie leaves a lot to be desired for me, and, and, and the same with the book. It's my least favorite book, and it... Pr- really? Chamber? Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's probably my least favorite movie. Thinking about it, it's closely tied with six. So I have a bit of nostalgia for Chamber for the book, because I remember we read Sorcerer's Stone with my, I guess it would have been my fourth grade class, but I never got my own, or I, I didn't get my own copy of Sorcerer's Stone. Um, and then I got my own copy of Chamber of Secret, and I must have read that book 100 times before finally getting a copy of Sorcerer's Stone and then later Prisoner of Azkaban. 
I've definitely seen Chamber more than the other movies. It's the one that's always on TV. That's true. I saw Chamber, actually, this was great, and jumping back to our early conversation about music, I saw Chamber of Secrets um, orchestra cast. Oh, that's cool. So they play the movie without the soundtrack, and then they just the orchestra plays over top of it and it was so very good. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I've always that wanted to go to one of those fun. for like, I'd take pretty much any movie. But yeah, that's super cool. That is super cool. Um, I mean, it's not a, by any means a bad movie. It's just... It, the story in it is a lot of, like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's a lot of unnecessary backstory that never really leads anywhere. And you, you get a lot of Voldemort. Do you think, do you think when J.K. Rowling, revisiting the series recently, do you think when J.K. Rowling wrote this book, she had Horcruxes in mind? Yeah, I think she had something. I don't know if she knew exactly what they were going to be. I think that she definitely planned on using that book again as a part, as, as like a, a prop. I think and she had to have had Horcruxes in mind because the memory of Tom Riddle of Voldemort was preserved in the diary. And so she had to have some idea of how that happened. Right. And like they talk about the locket in Borgen and Burks in this movie. They do. And the locket is shown yeah. on screen in the movie. It is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's very brief. It's in the shop, but it, it remains there uh, until later on. Hmm. Yep, it is It is in the movie. So it's, I guess they, they, they had to have figured that part out at least. I, maybe when the book was written, I don't know, but by the time this movie came out, that was definitely figured out. Um, and I mean, the Basilisk thing is kind of a cop-out too, but the Basilisk is... Yeah, because when Harry gets Basilisk in his shoulder, it should kill the Horcrux in him, right? Uh... I thought the whole thing was that the Venom didn't actually penetrate or whatever. Like, like the Basilisk did not... In inject venom it kind of raised him no because fox cried on him to make him better he definitely had the venom in him yeah that's my mentality he definitely had the venom in him i will accept that because harry didn't die the horcrux yeah that you gotta kill the thing you like, gotta kill the thing to yeah. kill the thing yeah that's the specific yeah. thing about the horcrux is that's how a horcrux is different from like a ghost it's like if you destroy the holder the horcrux dies the real question is is dumbledore crookshank no oh, no Crookshanks, surprisingly, not an Animagus. Crookshanks is a Neasel, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was shocked. Like, capital S-H-O-C-K-E-D, when Crookshanks did not turn out to be a person. It made so much sense that she would. He, he yeah, would. and it, that cat had way too much personality. Yeah. I'm sorry, did you meet my cats, Ethan? My cats have a lot of personality. Your cats seem to be afraid of me. Eh, it was your first time here. Yes, so I, I, I touched both of them, but very briefly, and one of them put her entire head in my shoe. That makes sense. Yep, I thought she was just going to climb all the way in. I was like, this is about to be adorable, but it did not happen. Alas, earwax. All right, cool. Chamber Such of Secrets. One. What is, who's, so my favorite character in this movie is Gilderoy Lockhart. Uh, I just oh, love Kenneth Branagh. It, it's such a great performance. I know I keep saying this, but it's such a great performance that he, like, saves the movie. If, the, if that had not been Gilderoy Lockhart, and he wasn't even the first choice, he was the third choice. Behind, behind Jude Law who ended up not making it all the way through because he was deemed to be too young, and Hugh Grant, who had a scheduling conflict. Mm, Hugh Grant would have yeah, worked. Hugh Grant was supposed to be Gilderoy Lockhart. Hugh Grant could have worked, yeah. Yep, but I thought that was interesting that Jude Law was turned down for the part because he was too young, and Eddie Redmayne was turned down for the part of Tom Riddle because he was too young. That's okay, we still got Eddie Redmayne later. Yeah, and we still got Jude Law later. Um, not Hugh Grant, Not Hugh though. Grant. Hugh Grant probably will not be in a Harry Potter movie. Did you guys have a favorite moment from this movie? I don't know. I, like, I'll say read through this time around. I loved this book a lot more than I usually do. I still am not. I don't care. I love movie. Arthur Weasley. I do love like, Arthur Weasley. What, what is the exact function of a rubber duck? Are you really? When he comes home and he doesn't even notice there's a strange child at his table, he's just like, I'm, I'm done with work. This is great. I can eat breakfast or whatever. And he's just like, good lord, are you 
really? And then he's yeah. just like, he's pretty immediately great. is, what is the function of a rubber duck? And honestly, I think Arthur Weasley's casting was, like, the, the Molly and Arthur's casting was so spot on in this movie. Oh, they oh were yeah. Great. Arthur Weasley I would believe they were is, a married couple. Uh, yeah, I like, I don't think of those actors as being anything else. It's weird when you see, because I've seen a bunch of movies that he's been in, to see him as not yeah, Arthur he's, Weasley. He's pretty prolific. Wasn't he in 101 Dalmatians with Hugh Laurie? Uh, yes. No. Was that Homeward The live action version. Yeah. Yeah, it was Dr. House and Arthur Weasley. Yeah. Were Horace and Jasper. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. I couldn't remember what movie that was. Um, Mark Williams. Yeah, Mark Williams. And, yeah, I would totally believe that he and Molly are related... Um, there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of great side characters. Like you get a whole, a whole lot more of, of Uncle Dursley being himself, which is always great. Um, the Japanese golfer joke, man. What is the Japanese golfer joke? Really racist. It's, I, I don't think it's super racist because he's telling, he's telling it to his kid. Uh-huh. And, yeah, but he's a terrible and his person. boss. Like, I don't know. I feel like I've heard a Japanese golfer joke. An American goes to Japan to close a big business deal. The night before he is very tense, so he picks in Japanese. The man figures the next day he is playing golf with his Japanese customer. On the third tee, the Japanese man swings. The ball makes a beautiful arc, hits the green, bounces twice, rolls, and winds up right in the cup. A hole in one. Thinking to impress his client, the man repeats the <laughs> oh my god that was that is definitely an approach i don't think he would be telling that to his kid oh good lord holy crap that was that was wildly inappropriate tyler you can't say that on this pg podcast oh my gosh so another moment from this movie that i really loved is um a line that was apparently completely improvised by um by tom felton yes thank you yeah by tom felton the uh i didn't know you could read yeah he forgot what he was supposed to say and as yep as goyle (laughs) said that to goyle that's great it is a a classic line from this movie um yeah i i've always i again you just you hate draco malfoy even though he's like barely in this movie except for not knowing who the heir of slytherin is did you get the flourish and blot scene in yours did you see him and and lucius walk in not flourish and blot What's the one? Borgen and Burke. No, no. That is not part okay. of the movie. There's like a two-minute scene where it's very poorly acted by everyone in it. You can see why they left it out. Borgen or Burke specifically was absolutely terrible. But where they go in there and Harry hides in like a... Sarcophagus. Yeah, sarcophagus. A catacomb. And uh, Oh, he's supposed to hide in the vanishing cabinet. It was not the vanishing cabinet. I know. It's, I know. Yeah, but he did. And uh, they... I don't even remember what they talked about. Draco says he wants something, and, and Lucius is just rude the whole time. Yeah, Lucius won't buy him the Hand of Glory. Yeah, but he gets it eventually, right? I think so. What do you think he uses it for? Light. It only lights up for him. Yeah, he uses it in to, to lead the Death Eaters through the Peruvian Instant Darkness Powder in the sixth book. I, know, I literally listened to yeah, that today. That's a thing. Um, I mean, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Is it? Yeah. So did everybody say their favorite parts of the movie? What's your least favorite part of the movie? What was that one scene that just drives you nuts? So since Tyler and I watched the extended version last night, it really irritated me how much the extended scenes were not properly like color and light matched to the rest of it. It was very, very noticeable when it was one of those scenes. Yeah, there was like they they shot them all in the same light and then added the, the orange or the blue to show like mood in post. And they just didn't do it for the extended <laughs> edition. So like halfway through the movie, there would be a scene that was shot just like just like a normal day. There was no mood effect or anything. Dang. 
So, so I actually, I just hate Tom Riddle. I hate that whole scene. I, I remember as a child when he's like Tom Marvolo Riddle and then he rearranges it being like, oh my God. Did anybody else in the books go back through and like check to make sure every single letter lined up correctly? Oh yeah. But apparently in like yeah. translated versions, they had to use really oh, yeah. weird. The French is uh, is is Tom Elvis Jedusor. Uh-huh. Jedusor. Elvis. They Elvis. Needed, they needed that V. So they went with Elvis, yep. which is awesome. Could have been Livace. That's an Elvis anagram for you. It uh-huh. Could have been a lot of things. But yeah, Tom Marvolo Riddle, which to me, even as a child, I was like, that's a cop out. That's a, Yeah, that's not a <laughs> You said, I am Lord Voldemort and get, and I've got Tom Riddle and here's the letters I need. Let me make a name out of it. Right, right. <laughs> I think she added the I am part. Marvolo. Otherwise it would have been. Ravolo. Rulf. Vul. There's also no, there's also no I in Voldemort. They need the I am for Riddle. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Tom Marvolo Riddle. I hate the kid. I didn't like that whole scene. I've never liked that whole scene. The snake, not scary. Jenny Weasley, not that great of an actress. The guy who plays Tom Riddle, not that great of an actor, does not deliver that performance well. Gilderoy Lockhart's not even in the movie at this point. Why do we bother? I feel like I'm going to be mean to to um, what's her butt real quick, and I don't want Bonnie Wright. I feel like Jenny Weasley was the only character where they cast a kid and they didn't turn out as pretty as they were supposed to. Where like I'm sorry, like was Weasley Draco supposed to look- end up pretty because he did not? Let me tell you, if you look up on Instagram Tom Felton Stan pages, people love them. You're going to find Tom plenty. Felton. Yeah, people are all about some Tommy Felton. So, but I felt like, like Bonnie Wright is, is beautiful and as an adult is an attractive human, but I felt like she didn't have the the best looking teenage years for the boy who lived to be like, like the one girl that he would ever choose. You know what I'm saying? Well, he doesn't pick her because she's the most beautiful girl alive. He picks her because she's cool. Like he likes her. She's got nice skin. She's got nice skin. She's got a, what's the hex she got? bat bogey hex that bat impresses horse like slug wouldn't believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I should just didn't, I didn't buy her in this movie. I didn't buy the whole, the whole thing, the whole package of, like, she's the one murdering the chickens. The way that it, like, the way that it, like, warps the screen when it's going through what she's doing is so, like, era-specific. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. I wasn't in love with it. The CG in this whole movie is not good. Yeah. And I feel like if you're going to make a giant basilisk and then you're going to make a theme park about your movies, you could have put the basilisk in your theme park if you'd made a nice robot basilisk they did make a robot fox fox is animatronic you know what worked spectacularly was the door leading into the chamber with all of the snake heads on it and stuff that was cool i just love the thing about the the tumblr post about like what was tom riddle doing while he was sliding down that slide and it's just like a, a picture of tom just angry facing the whole time um something about that that whole thing. I don't I don't much care for Moaning Myrtle. I didn't think that the uh the polyjuice potion thing like I get as as the seven part story it's important to introduce the polyjuice potion early because it's used in like every book. Um I didn't think it was necessary to turn Her- Hermione into a furry. Yeah, what's that all about? Why couldn't she have just gotten Millicent Bulstrode's hair? I I don't know. Cause, because J.K. Rowling hates Hermione. Yeah, that's she why. needed Hermione to spend the entire book in the hospital wing. So Harry yeah. and Ron have to... First as well, a cat and, and, and then And the thing petrified. is, is because Hermione obviously figured it out 500 pages before they did. Right. She would, uh-huh. have, she would have been way too useful in that whole basilisk thing. It's just like, Harry, right. don't look at it. Also, I work in, in a world where plumbing is a regular thing. Let me tell you, 50-foot snakes that are that wide do not fit in your <laughs> Plumbing. <laughs> that is a real thick snake. <laughs> Even the U-bends of the toilets and the sinks. Well, the U-bends, the toilets at Hogwarts can clearly fit a whole ghost. <laughs> 
I think ghosts. The, I've are never fluid. been cool with that. They can. Yeah, ghosts are gaseous. What state of matter are ghosts? Now this is the question <laughs> we're getting into now. Well, so so ignoring what state of matter they are, they are clearly fluid in that they can change their appearance and their their yeah. sizing. I mean, for sure, you're 100 yeah. percent right. But giant, 50 foot, 2,000 year old snakes cannot. <laughs> I mean, apparently they thick can. Snake. He, they were doing something. That is a big Lucius Malfoy also provided the snake voice. Fun fact. Jason Isaacs. So when, when you guys were, I guess your first exposure to this would have been as reading the book, I figured out that it must be a snake extremely early on because we found out very early on in the dueling club that Harry could talk to snakes. And then Harry was hearing a voice that no one else could. And I'm like, oh, he's hearing a snake. Yeah, I, I think I remember reading it and figuring out snakes and the pipes. Yeah, dude, like I was like six when I read this. So I would have been in fourth grade, third, uh, yeah, fourth grade. Yeah, maybe. no, I was literally like six years old. It was like 99 or 2000. I was either like five or six and my mom was reading it to me. So I didn't exactly catch it until later on. But now I go back and I'm like, yeah, I, I could have easily figured that out 20 pages in. There's also a snake on the front cover of the book. Maybe not the book I had then, but the book I have now looks like a snake. <laughs> what is the American cover for this one? Oh, it's them all flying out of the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah the the UK cover is just the car. The Ford Anglia. Yeah, the Ford Anglia. Oh, I don't care for the car. They destroyed 17 of those to make that scene. 17 really? Ford Anglias got marked by the Whomping Willow, which is in a completely different spot. How do I get that as my day job? In the next movie. What? What is your day job? Destroying Ford Anglias? Yes. I don't think that that's still something that you can do Ooh. as a day job, but if you want to like work in the crash test Jordan, place. I think you your best bet is to go outside plant yourself on the ground, turn into a tree, and then hit things. They'll just and they'll just give you the English. job at that point. Sounds good. Like, wow, we've got a tree that can hit things here. Anybody want to make more Harry Potter movies? <laughs> we'll get that. You know what's a criminal thing? Is that Luna Lovegood is not introduced earlier on. Like, she's never even mentioned. Yeah. And then, and then she's just like, I'm just going to give her a whole chapter. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of characters that come in throughout time. We get a lot of Hufflepuffs in this movie. Ernie, Ernie McMillan. McMillan. And Justin Finch Fletchley. Yeah. But what are you playing yeah, at? Tyler, Tyler, when you were in middle school, did you pay attention to kids who were in the other classes? Yeah, I knew every single kid See, in my school. See, I went to a small school, and I distinctly remember that, like, every year I would have a new crush because I didn't want to crush on someone who wasn't in my class because I wouldn't see them and therefore wouldn't think about them. I mean, I did too, but I knew who everyone was. I knew every single person in my middle school. I went to school at the same school from kindergarten There's to senior There's also only 40 year. kids per class. Harry's class only has, like, 40 people. How does he not know all of them? I mean, we had 89 in my high school graduating class, and while eventually I knew everyone's names, I couldn't tell you anything else about them. I knew most of the kids in our graduating class. I knew all of their names, but I, like, knew most of them. Yeah. I mean... And we weren't popular at all. By high school, I knew more people, but... Well, in my elementary school, I only had... I was put into, like, a special smart person group of classes where there were only, like, 10 people per year, so... Yeah. So, like, I knew I'm all those kids, back, and so, I didn't so know anybody else. How old... Or what, what grade are you in when you're 12? Uh, Is that 6th grade, 5th grade? Yeah, something like that. You finish 6th grade when you're 12. Yeah, so I I don't even remember what the other 6th grade teachers' names were. Like, I remember most of the people in my 6th grade class, but I couldn't tell you who was in the other classes. I didn't care. Oh, yeah, by 6th grade, we all had classes together. Like, everybody, like, we, we didn't have, like, one teacher. Nope, we, we still had, well, actually, in my 6th grade, we had 
two teachers, well, there were four sixth grade teachers and each of the teachers were paired. So for one class, like I had all of my classes with one teacher and then for my math class, I would go to another teacher. And when I was in, like when my class was in math with her, her class would be in, I don't know, history with my teacher. Yeah, we, we had, had seven teachers. Eight, in. No, we had, we had eight core teachers and then gym and band. Yeah, so yeah, that didn't start till seventh grade for me. Yeah, so we had we had seven. You you were either an owl or a hawk or something. Ethan and I were owls. We had Miss Sneed, Miss Mahalo, Mister Jones, Jones, and and the math teacher could couldn't tell your name, but she was a a dark haired woman. She was my homeroom teacher. Yeah. I 100% and then Chris had the other four. name the majority of my teachers in junior high anymore. And then we had Miss Sarver, and I couldn't tell you who my gym teacher was, Mr. Was Hard. It the, yeah, it was Mr. Hard. Yeah, up. we had Mr. Hard that year. And then, and I, didn't even know I think I you and Chris had Mr. Hard. Did we have Mr. Hard? I remember it was Mr. Hard, the, uh, Mr. Burcham, and Miss Andrews. Miss Andrews, I had Miss. We, I had all of them. They they just kind of rotated. Yeah, I mean, they, there was no rhyme and or reason. Her and Mr. Har- Mr. Burcham were definitely getting it on. They were in love, Ethan. They were in love. I mean, whatever. In the Marado. <laughs> anyway, Kenneth Branagh is so great. <laughs> nice transition. Yeah, it's a great. I mean, that's all. It's I've a got great to segue say there. That. Did you have any teachers who were like super duper self absorbed and annoying, like Kenneth Branagh, aka Lockhart? Probably not until college, I wouldn't think. So I think my junior high English teacher, um, I, I sort of took, the, the only phrase that occurred to me was, I took umbrage with her. Um, but I just, I did not like her very much because she would make us write in cursive. And she was the first teacher to ever give me detention. I, I definitely remember the, the whole middle school thing of like, you got to write everything in cursive. In high school, they use cursive. And then we got to high school and they're like, here's a laptop. See, I, I okay, was but pre-laptop I, here's, era for high everybody school. Everybody gets so mad about that. But I... I am pro teaching kids cursive. Why? Maybe not for the reason that you're going to need it in high school because they make you write everything in cursive in high school. But I think it is important to know how to write in cursive. Why? I think it's important to know how to read in cursive. What yeah. do you need cursive I don't think for? You need to be what able is to the point it? of cursive? My grandmother writes in cursive. Right. So right. Because she's need an old to be able fogey. To read it. I don't know. I I believe in the value of handwriting things. I think that it's valuable, and I think learning cursive is important. I think I think honestly that not only should you be required to learn printing cursive, but you should learn how to do them well. And like bad handwriting should be grounds for lower grades. Side note: Everyone in the office has atrocious handwriting. Yeah, I mean, it's not. Uh, always something you can control like i mean you can practice i did practice it so so did i and mine improved okay congratulations i'm not saying it works for everybody but i think i mean you said you think i should have failed high school because i can't write well no i don't think you should have failed high school i just think that there should be effort put into quality of handwriting why though like what value does that serve because it's easier to read things who cares if you handwrite something and give it to me i'm not taking you seriously at this point we at my workplace have a ton of whiteboards that everybody writes on all the time and it is like to me it is unacceptable like the previous job i had it was eight dudes in an office and we had a whiteboard that we wrote on every day and only two people were allowed to write on it because they were the only people that had handwriting good enough to be legible speaking of handwriting and jumping back to the harry potter movies um harry's handwriting is so good in the first one and so bad in the second one so like why do they not just use ballpoint pens like i'm telling you there's going to be some muggle-born bringing in ballpoint pens instead of using a freaking quill and ink Oh, those yeah, that is just those are my favorite like purposes. Tumblr headcanons. The 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 kids that Muggles bring like a thermos. The kids yeah. are tea hot, and there's kids sitting there going thermos, thermos. to their cups. 
Thormos. Yep. No, I definitely agree with you there. I think, yeah, it's very weird that the Muggleborns don't make any sort of effort to use, like, Muggle inventions because it would make so much sense. But I think it just goes to show how out of touch with reality the, the wizards really are. And sometimes she really accents it with putting, like, Arthur Weasley in there being like, what's a rubber duck do? How does, how does a other plug times, work? Can you imagine right. this generation of Muggleborns, like, talking about vines? <laughs> what do you mean I can't have my iPhone in Hogwarts? <laughs> yeah, what's the what Wi-Fi no password? IPhone? Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally writing a fan fiction now. Uh, I think there's like a, a Twitter page that's a uh, Hogwarts IT guy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know, man. Qu- yeah, I've never understood the whole quill thing. It's, it's so... And it creates problems frequently. They're just like, oh, my quill's broken. I gotta buy new quills. I'm out of ink. The ink spilled all over the place. This quill burns my hand. <laughs> yeah. This quill scars me. <laughs> I'm writing in my own blood. <laughs> Nobody seems to be able to stop this from happening. Well, because Harry's too damn proud to do anything about it. Oh, this whole series is Harry should have told an adult but decided against it. Absolutely. Uh. Absolutely true. Five could have been stopped immediately if he was just like, Hey, Dumbledore, uh, I'm having, like, visions of Voldemort attacking people. Can we do something about this? And had had Dumbledore just been like, Yep, we're just gonna do something about it instead of like, I'm gonna let Snape teach you occlumency. Well, like, like... It's just, just tell Anna you have ice powers. <laughs> She'd like, be fine with it. Nothing bad will happen. <laughs> just like, just have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't the whole thing that if she knows about the magic, she'll die? How great of it would it have been if when Hagrid came to visit Harry, Harry was like, yeah, I've done things that I haven't been able to explain before. I could talk to snakes because Voldemort does that. And Harry's just, it would have paralleled Harry's so well. just like, I'm a what? Yeah, I'm a what? You a are a wizard. Dude, Harry. Ooh, maybe Hagrid visiting Harry is my favorite scene in that movie. Happy birthday, Oops, Harry. Sorry about that. Wow, that was a great Hagrid impression. Who? Who? I think Ethan. Me? Saying happy birthday, yeah. Harry? Uh-huh. Oh, Robbie Coltrane. Sorry about that. Happy and birthday, it's like, Harry. it's spelled wrong. H-A-P-P-E-E. Birth die. Birth die. Shouldn't have said that. Just I should so not have know, said that. On Prime right now for Prime Day, you can get the complete eight film collection of Harry Potter for $23. 23 Uh-huh. That's like my whole bank account. On like Prime DVDs? Or? On DVD, yeah. On DVD or Blu-ray? Do you get digital? Format is DVD. All I know is there's a dog that says, sorry, something went wrong on our end. Yeah, that's been happening a lot. I, I went to HarryPotter.com instead of Amazon, but... <laughs> Harry Potter! I did. Well, you know. Harry Potter! Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Complete eight film collection on Blu-ray, twenty eight ninety nine. Where is this? Does an Xbox play Blu-ray? Yep. Yes. What kind of Xbox? I, Mine does. I don't know. Whatever kind my sister has. You should buy the... I wish these were on freaking... These don't come with the digitals, do they? No. Well, it's going to be a tough tough sell for me. Why? I love the digital copy. Oh, you can get them in... For 60 bucks, you can get them in Mandarin. Cool. <laughs> well, these would be very useful to me, but... No. We need to do, we need to talk of rank the films. We're we're right oh, at we that are, mark. Yes. This has been fun. I enjoy this bacon and eggs podcast. If you enjoy this bacon and eggs podcast, you can head on over to patreon.com slash bacon and eggs. And for just five dollars a month, you can have conversations with Ethan and I like most hours of most days. So what are you waiting for? Go on and do that. Thanks. Or if you don't want to talk to Ethan and I, you can buy a hat from bigcartel.something. I don't know. You're not going to type it in based on what I said. The link's in the description. It is indeed. All right. So what do we think about Tom Marvolo Riddle? Tom Elvis. Voldy? 
Je du soir. All I know is that if I was to put all of the villains we've talked about on the list, Voldemort would just definitely, all I know is fall short of the Emperor. Emperor Palpatine? Significantly so. So first of yeah. all, Voldemort couldn't even take over a high school. That's what Emperor, I'm saying. Yeah, Emperor Palpatine took, took over, over a galaxy and Voldemort couldn't take over a high school. You're exactly right. Second of all, so, Tom Riddle was super duper cute. And it's really funny to imagine the headcanon of like people coming back to Hogwarts after several years and being like, oh my God, did you hear about Hot Tom? Yeah, he got super ugly chopped off his nose and started making his friends get ta- matching tattoos. Did you hear about... They don't get tattoos. Did you hear about branded. Hot Tom? Oh, my God. <laughs> ten-year reunion. Did you hear about Hot Tom? Voldemort yeah, shows up to the ten-year reunion and is just like, hey, guys. <laughs> also, side note, Voldemort's super-duper old. If the chamber was opened 50 years prior... Yeah, he died... Like, He's also he in more 70. Right. He's like solidly into his 60s by the time Harry Potter grows up. Yeah. He, yeah. He's 63. Yeah, he, in he died at age 70. First of all. What the thing, or 69, one of the two. He was born in... <laughs> but he's also immortal. So how old is he? What What was that? What are you saying? He's not... Dirty again? He's you talking not about immortal. dragonflies? What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm sorry. If I ever don't laugh at someone saying 69, I am a hostage and you need to come rescue me. Just assume I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favorite things. It's like if I don't, if I ever don't retweet this, assume that I'm dead. <laughs> uh, I will never not reblog. That's the Tumblr in me coming out. I don't even have a Tumblr account, but I know what they say over there. Delivery to Jordan. Tom Marvolo. I don't know. I give him like a yeah, three. I'm with that. Okay, Harry Potter ranking. This is the worst one. This is yeah. the worst one. Cool. Yeah. Oh, see, I, I, I disagree. Um, what mm, you think this is? Mm, so far, you think it's better reviewed? than Sorcerer's Stone or? Uh, I almost said Phantom Menace because I'm looking at the bottom of the list, but <laughs> Sorcerer's Stone or Fantastic, Fantastic Beasts. Beasts. It is not significantly worse than Sorcerer's Stone because uh, the casting of Lockhart and the casting really of all of the... No, I would I would say that it is better than Sorcerer's Stone. Mm, I would disagree with That's you. That's fine. Yeah. You're, you're I, welcome it, to your opinion. They're, they're close. I think that just the fact that, that the Sorcerer's Stone is so magical <laughs> and it, it is the establishing film kind of gives it an extra leg up for me. But yeah, and it, it does a good job of being the establishing film. Like the Phantom Menace does a bad job. Right, of it's being not the like a wide, film. wide margin. Side note: no, I literally I also... did buy the Harry Potter box set while we were discussing just now. Nice. Yeah, we're I think about so. to. Yeah. As soon as this, as soon as um, this is over, that would just make my life a lot easier. These are really hard to find without paying for them. I paid two ninety nine for Chamber of Secrets. That was all. Where did you watch the first one? I own the oh, DVD. I mean, I think I have the DVD for the first two. At my parents' house, but I didn't grab them. Yeah. You did grab your hat, though. I did Hope grab my hat. It. I haven't worn it yet. Anyway. Any, yeah, it's because I hate you. Of course. All right, let's <laughs> rank this on, on all of our movies ever. It's lower than what? Like, it's not a wide margin, but it's lower. So is it better Is it better than if, Thor? No. But it is better than Attack of the Clones. Yes. There you go. So it's better than the movie that Kenneth Braun directed. No, it's worse. It's, it's worse not than better Thor. Than... Oh. But it's better than Attack of the Clones. If Kenneth Branagh played Harry Potter, that would be different. But he plays Gilderoy Lockhart, who is honestly not in the movie that much. Screen time is low. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That's where I'm at. I, I'm, I'm right there between between Thor and Attack of the Clones. That works for me. How high on the list, if you were to just favor, uh, give a guess now as to how high on this overall ranking will any of these movies get? Not that high, honestly. I think I rated Fantastic Beasts pretty high, and that's definitely my favorite. I'm curious I'm curious what's going to happen when we have to defend ourselves to Brizzy. Who is going to try to tell us that <laughs> Deathly Hallows Part Two is the greatest movie ever made? <laughs> right. We'll see. We'll see what she says. Uh, right. 
We might have to put those two together, part one and two. Maybe. We also might not. I, I don't, don't know. Well, this was a lot of fun. Let's let's do the sign-off. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to Bacon and Eggs. My name's Tyler Carlin. His name's Ethan Edgehill. Her name's Super Awesome Jordan. All of our social media links are in, in the description below or to the side or wherever, depending upon where you're listening to this. Uh, but if you need to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Carlin. Ethan's at WowNow. The O's are zeros. Jordan's Super Awesome Jeb. Not like Jeb Bush, but spelled the same. Um, on she, she loves on Instagram, everything's... <laughs> She's Super Awesome Instagram, Jordan everything's... Instagram, I think. Oh, is she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you? Mm-hmm. Super Awesome Jordan on Instagram. Otherwise, Ethan and I are the same. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at BaconNX23. Um, we do a lot of fun things over on the Twitterverse. We got a thousand followers today. I don't know if that's a milestone, but I just noticed it that we hit that four-digit world. So go BaconNX Twitter. Uh, you can buy our merchandise at whatever the link is. You can <laughs> become a patron at patreon.com slash eggs. Literally, our Patreon is just the community is amazing. I love it. It's so much fun. And there's a bunch of cool stuff over there. You can join Team Bacon or Team Eggs. Or for $5 a month, you can join our Discord server, which is like the greatest thing that's ever existed. You get to meet people like like KT, the ecologist. She's cool. I don't know what else to say. What else do I say? Our artwork is done by Vaishan Brandon. And do we have another vendor to talk about? No. I don't think so. <laughs> we are still looking for music. Uh, a couple people have reached out to us and sent us a few things. We're still looking. We haven't quite decided on what we're going to do just yet. Uh, so if you're uh, an aspiring musician and would like to audition for the role of Bacon and Eggs composer, we are willing to hear, show us what you got. I need to email Stuart Bitten everything. back or DM him back because he, yeah. he wants to he wants to do one and I never got back to him because I suck and he's also just a lot. Yeah, but he anyway, Jordan, Jordan, that are any last words for the folks, for the yokes, for the friends, the yokes, howdy yokes. Thank you so much for having me. This was incredibly fun. Pretty, pretty obvious. obvious. We'd have you pretty on the obvious. Uh, we'd have you on the podcast. We would, wouldn't think to do this without you. Uh, Is that everything? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You're super duper wonderful and. I might even be super it's, awesome. You might you be. You are super awesome. You might be. And, and uh... I've been Ethan Edgehill. He's been Tyler Carlin. She's been super awesome, Jordan. And until next week, Arrivederci. Alas, earwax.